0: Show me the money. This is the Money Web Be a Better Investor podcast. Picking the brains of professional investors on their investment strategies, successes, and mistakes. Your host, Ray Fanica.
1: Welcome to this week's edition of the Be A Better Investor podcast. It's a podcast where I speak to leading investors and business leaders about investments and how they approach investments in their personal capacities. And we try to get a sense of how they analyze investment opportunities and uh, whether they have more hits than misses in their portfolios. My guest today is investment legend John Bicard. He has a reputation as being one of the best fund managers in the country, He is also seen as one of the country's foremost deep value or contrarian investors. And he invests in mostly unpopular shares, which most other asset managers steer away from. John, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, How do you feel about the title of being one of the leading contrarian investors in the country? I would imagine it's between you and Pitful
0: Um, well, I think it's kind, uh, but I've been in the industry a long time. I've been basically in the stock market for thirty years, so there is a bit of bias. A lot of success in life is if you're the last person standing. I think so. I think my biggest strength is it's not how smart I am; it's how determined I am. I think that's a lot of the the secret, especially in value investing, is to keep going and to stick to your positions and. All types of investing is to, to make the decision, stick to it and keep compounding your money by consistently doing the same thing over and over again. Even if you start small, you know, if you make a lot of correct decisions in the long term, eventually, you know, you, you'll make some returns and you'll make some money.
1: Yeah, we'll get back to that determination later on, because sometimes you need to really grind your teeth when things go against you. But just tell us about your background. How did you become a professional investor?
0: So, after I studied, I joined the sell side, which is the stockbroking industry. And that was in about 1990. And I joined a company called Simpson McKee Stockbrokers, And basically, I was a sales analyst for 10 years. So, you know, that is analyzing and writing reports um, for the asset management industry. Then eventually, Simpson McKee got bought out by HSBC, and I worked for them for a few years. And then after 10 years, I Wanted to go onto the buy side, that is, invest the money rather than advise the people who are investing the money. And I joined InvestEc basically 10 years into my career, 20 years ago. And the last 21 years, I've been with 91, which is the old InvestEc. And I've been running the value fund for that full 21 years.
1: And before that, how did you decide to pursue a career in investments and investing?
0: I mean, I've always been interested in the stock market, even when I was 20, but, you know, at 20, you don't really know what you're going to do exactly. You know, when I finished studying, I actually had a range of job interviews from retail to industrial companies, and I happened to just get a job interview at the, at Simpson McKee Stockbrokers, and I got hired. So I can't say I spent my whole life wanting to be that, because I think it. 24 years old, you don't really know what you want to do. But I did have a financial degree and it looked an interesting job. So that's how I got into it. And then, you know, for the first five years, I didn't really know what was going on at all. So, I, you know, I was learning and writing reports, but I can't say I was a value investor then. I mean, I I always probably had that bias, but I only really worked that out after five to ten years in the market although I think everyone does have a natural investment style. So because I'm a bit of a pessimist, let's say I always see what can go wrong more than what can go right, I think I'm naturally biased to become a value investor, but I only really became a value investor properly as in I worked out what exactly I would, how I'd like to invest after 10 years in the market. So that's the other thing. It takes some time to work out what kind of investor you are, and it doesn't really matter. I mean, obviously – I'm a value investor, and that's how I do it. But you can actually make money as a growth investor or as a momentum investor. But the secret is to work out what style you like, and then to stick to it, and not to flip flop between the styles. You know, like you know, you're a value investor, but then the share halves, and then you sell it all, and then you buy something that's doubled because you want to be a growth investor. The secret is to work out what your strengths and weaknesses are. And your plan and then to consistently stick to it in the long term. And the long term means, you know, 10 years of the same kind of investing. And for investors, you're not investing Mm. their own money. (laughs) Even if you're buying funds, you know, funds are like shares. You know, if you're buying funds and you you decide you like your fund, you've got to stick to it. You can't change if the fund starts doing badly.
1: You also call that experience because history seems to repeat itself. But what was the very, very first share you bought in your personal capacity?
0: I think there was an old share on the JSC, I think it was called Masoli, Masoli and asbestos, I think it was. That's how long ago it was. People still were mining asbestos thirty years ago. But I I didn't really know, you know, I think that was the first share I bought, but it was literally and I was you know, I was twenty years old. I was like looking at the chart and saying, it Looks good and I've got a nice mind, but I didn't really know what I was doing.
1: (laughs) But you also have a big personal investment portfolio. Do you manage that portfolio differently to the value fund you manage at 91?
0: No. So you'll see, and it is quite easily disclosed these days, what personal holdings everyone holds. The shares that I hold are all found in the 91 value fund. So, I mean, I've got quite a lot of my money in the fund as well, but What i found is, especially in the smaller cap shares, when there's great opportunities, I buy, first of all, we have very strict dealing regulations at 91. So it's a very well-regulated process. So basically, I buy as many of a share that I can for the clients. And when I'm finished doing that, then I buy, if I like the idea, then I buy for myself too. And then correct way is I first sell out the clients and then I sell myself out after that. So in institutional asset management, you know, if you've got too concentrated a portfolio, that is, if you have 10 shares at 10% each, your short-term volatility of returns goes up a lot. And in the institutional money management, people don't like so much volatility because it makes the client nervous. So, whereas in my personal capacity, I don't mind having 10 shares. And basically, I have 10 shares. And generally, there'll be smaller cap ideas and there'll be the 10 best ideas in the value fund I'll have as my own personal investments too.
1: Is it biased towards South African stocks?
0: Yes. Because most of my money is in rant, so yes, it is because it's, you know, a rant investment. Yeah. And actually in the last few years, especially in the small and mid cap space, I think South African small and mid cap shares will compete with any global idea in terms of in dollar terms of being great value and give you great returns. And that's actually been correct in the last two or three years you know two years ago south african mid cap shares in dollars probably got to a 20 year low in terms of price and valuation and that's the time when you need to obviously put as much as you can into them and in the fund and my personal capacity i did that
1: yeah but the mid caps and small caps performed very poorly for around a decade the uh, the 2010 to 2020 and you spoke about determination earlier How long do you stomach that poor performance before you realize, listen, maybe my approach isn't working?
0: Mm, You don't. You keep going. You do the work to start with. And if you bought the share at sufficiently low valuation, it doesn't really matter if the share halves. You just buy more. And if it halves again, you buy more still. So obviously every (laughs) time… What do you call that, averaging? (laughs) Averaging, well, it's a massive thing, you know. I mean, it's unlikely just on the averaging… It's very unlikely just because I've done the work and I decide the share's cheap and it's the share's down whatever percent. It's very unlikely that the share's going to turn up on the day that I happen to buy it. <laughs> you know, you could be wrong by three years or four years, and but it doesn't matter. If you have done the work and you buy it and it goes down the next day, you buy more. And then every time it takes another step down, you'd go and check the numbers again and check that there hasn't been some material change. And the truth of the matter is, 95 out of 100 times, nothing has changed, and you keep buying. Occasionally, 5 out of 100 times, something has fundamentally changed or that's worse than the situation. In that case, maybe you don't buy more. And then maybe 1 out of 100 times, I actually change my mind and sell the share at a loss. But if you've done the work to start with, and if you have bought the share with a sufficient margin of safety that you think this share is worth 100 and you're buying at a 50 – it's very unlikely that something's is going to change. That's going to change your fair value from a hundred to 50. It's going to change it from a hundred to 80 or a hundred to 90 or a hundred to 120. But if you bought it at a 50% discount to what you think the fair value is, the odds are you, you can keep buying it. You know, it's not, it's unlikely that things are going to change enough to change that valuation down by 50%. And that's the secret. And I think, people often then lose faith and lose confidence in the investment and they sell out and generally that's the bottom. And the point is on time, it doesn't matter to me how much time it takes because generally this sort of investing, you make nothing, you make nothing. In fact, probably in year one, you lose money. In year two, you lose money. In the invest. But year, whatever the catalyst comes to unlock the value, you make an outsized return in that third year or fourth year or fifth year to compensate for the fact that you had to wait for two or three years. And I think a good example would be Impala Platinum. You know, Impala Platinum, we made a lot of money on in the last five years. Impala was a 300-rand share. We started buying at 80-rand after it had been falling for like six or seven years. The share actually bottomed at 20-rand. So you need to think about that. We started buying at 80. And like three years, four years later, the share was 20. But we were still buying it. And – the averaging down meant that the price that we paid at 80, by continuing to buy all the way to 20, our average in price got to, say, 35 or 40, I think it was in the end. And then eventually the share went from 20 to 200, you know, in a space of two years. And that people would say, you're crazy. You've lost money. You've been waiting. But, you know, eventually you make 10 times your money to compensate for the fact that you first halved your money.
1: Did you also invest in Kumba and Cecil when they had their spectacular no. implosions, then unbelievable recoveries?
0: No. Impala was the one. We missed Cecil on the uh, two years ago and Kumba as well. But the actual story between those three shares is almost identical. And actually, the interesting thing about all the three of them is at the bottom, Cecil, Kumba and Impala, their share price was equal to what the shares earned like two years later. And that was... You know, we bought Impala 20 and earned 20 rand two years later. And the same with Kumba. But I didn't buy Kumba or Sassel. It was just Impala.
1: I've spoken to many investors and most of the CA investors I speak to, they really believe in the numbers. They analyze the annual financial statements of all the companies to a T. Uh, They read all the footnotes and then they formulate, you know, a valuation and then they stick to it. But interestingly enough, most of those uh, investors believe a 60% hit ratio is acceptable. That's what they aim for. And then hopefully they don't lose a significant amount of money through the, the 40% of losers they actually buy. But the longer you hold a share, the probability you know, increases that your hit ratio will be higher. How do you approach hit ratios and you know winners versus losers?
0: I think you're 100% right. As the longer you hold, that 60% goes higher. In the short term, on a day-to-day basis, your hit ratio is about 50-50 because it's just gambling, really. You know Whether a share goes up tomorrow or today is a random walk. And then as your time horizon goes lower, the true value of the share comes out. So 100%, the longer you hold it, the higher the hit ratio. I actually don't know what the number is. I mean, the actual hit ratio, if you look at the 21-year history on the value fund, I think the return is like 17% per annum, which is… Well ahead of any other fund. So that tells you your hit ratio is good enough to beat the market and beat other investors. What exactly that number is, I I actually don't know if it's 60, 70, but you've got to stick with that. And the longer you stick with it, the higher your hit ratio. And then, sorry, the second point is I am one of those investors that starts off by reading the annual report and going through every single line in the annual report. And then formulating what you think the fair value is on a blank piece of paper, you know, without reading other people's reports, just saying, I've, I know what the business does. This is the long-term track record. These are the cash flows. I think it's worth X. And if it's trading at a 50% discount, that, that's when we get interested.
1: Is that your investment methodology to analyze the actual numbers? Because I know of other fund managers who speak to ex-employees, they speak to suppliers, and they speak to clients about a specific company. Because in most cases, you get a lot of makeup on perspectives when you read the annual report or when you speak to the executives. Uh, do you use other methods to influence that valuation?
0: No. I think that's important because the starting point for me is any share that has massively underperformed the market for a number of years, preferably like five to ten years. So it's trading at a multi-year low to the market. It's trading at very depressed multiples. And unfortunately, the case is when that happens, generally the company has problems. So it doesn't really help to go speak to suppliers or even the management because all you're going to do is here more news about the problems in the industry or the company. And that's going to actually dilute your conviction to buy the shares. Mm -hmm. I actually speak to management very little and certainly don't bother to speak to suppliers or people in the industry because I can tell you it's only going to be bad news. And so there's no point in just rehashing the bad news. The bottom line is you've got to look at the fundamental value of the business and say the starting point is the problems in the industry or the company in the long term will get resolved and the value will get unlocked. So just to bring it to practical things, a good example, the biggest holding in the value fund at the moment is Tiger Brands. And Tiger Brands was 400 rand a share five years ago. Today it's 140. It's trading at an all-time low relative to the JSE, And if I go and speak to people in the industry, everyone will say Tiger Brands is doing badly. Well, that's hardly news to me. That's hardly news to anyone because the share is 140 rand for a reason. So I'm not going to worry about that, what's happening today. I'm going to look at the long-term cash flows that Tiger Brands has generated. I'm going to look at the brands that they've kept for 100 years. I'm going to look at their balance sheet, and I'm going to say the problems they have, which some of it is self-inflicted and some is it is the industry because – food inflation is very high and it's crimping their margins. When those things mean revert to what's happened in the last 10 or 20 years, the deep value that's in the share will be unlocked. And I just keep checking the balance sheet and the numbers and sort of the anecdotal evidence of what's happening day to day is irrelevant to me.
1: You've referred now to Tiger Brands. Are there other shares you are buying now to hold for 10 years plus?
0: Yes. So, the new shares that we bought in the last six months are Tiger Brands, Netcare, Spa, and roynet And all of these shares have one thing in common. All of them are maybe between 40 and 70% below their all-time highs, where the market is close to its all-time highs. So they have massively underperformed the market. All of them pay very nice, we're talking between 5 and 7% dividend yields. All of them have healthy balance sheets. All of them are essentially good businesses that have fallen on for various reasons on harder times, and the markets become disinterested in them. You know, you go back to Tiger Brands. You know, when the share was 400 rand, which was only five years ago, the narrative of Tiger Brands is it's the leading food company in South Africa. It's got 11 number one brands in South Africa, It generates lots of cash. It's growing. It's a great business, and people pay 20 times earnings for that. Then in the last five years, we can list all the things that have gone wrong. The earnings have basically halved, not halved, they're down 60% in the last five years, and now the share trade's on 11 times earnings. So the earnings are depressed, and at the same time that the earnings get depressed, the PE gets depressed, and that's a mistake the market makes over and over again. When the earnings go up and the company's doing well, they pay a high PE, so you get a double whammy, you're paying – The earnings are at the high level. I mean, five years ago, Tiger Brands was earning nearly 20 rand a share, and the market was over 400, so the market paid more than 20 times earnings for the higher earnings. Today, Tiger Brands are earning 13 rand a share, and the market's paying 11 times earnings for it. And I can tell you, Tiger Brands is identical company as it was five years ago. People don't think so, but I can tell you it is. So that's what you've got to do. You do the work, and you wait. And the truth is... Tiger brands will take years for something to happen and that will unlock the value and people don't have the patience. But then one year, suddenly the earnings will start growing again and the P will expand and that was when you will make those outsized returns.
1: Let's talk about retail investors. What is your perception of South African retail investors? Are they good, maybe relative to US retail investors or amateur
0: investors? I don't really know the answer to that, but I would say... American retail investors, from what I see, a lot of them aren't investors. Obviously, the U.S. has been in a 15-year massive, one of the biggest bull markets of all time, which culminated at the end of last year in one of the biggest bubbles you've ever seen in valuation. So U.S. investors, most of them aren't investors at all. They're just speculators in a bubble. Where South Africa has been the opposite, we've basically been in a terrible stock market for 10 years. So The odds are South African Mm -hmm. investors are more investors than American investors are because they are, when there's a massive bull market people's basic investment capability gets thrown out the window because you just, everything's going up, you just turn into a a punter more than an investor. So that's all I'd say but I don't actually know about Mm -hmm. this specific sales but I can tell you that in an American market, if you just follow what happens in Twitter and in social media and that, no one's really worrying what anything is worth. They are just trying to catch the thing that goes up next week.
1: The Robin Hood effect.
0: Exactly. And that's not investing. Mm -hmm. And eventually when you invest like that, you get caught out like people have been caught out in the last six months in America and you lose a lot of money.
1: What would your advice be for a retail or amateur investor in South Africa? Somebody who wants to buy a share, hold it for at least three years and try to build his or her own wealth whilst also learning in the process.
0: You know, to start with, I think the first thing I'd say is you mustn't worry if you don't have a lot of money because you've got to start somewhere, you know, and if you start with 10,000 rand and you make 10%, you'll say, oh, that's it's only 1,000 rand. But, you know, you have to turn your 10,000 rand to 100,000 rand, then to a million rand. And when you make the 10% on a million rand, you know, then you're making 100,000 rand, you're making proper money. So you've got to start somewhere and compound the money because, you know, in year 20 is when you'll make the real money when you make percentages on the real money. So you've got to start somewhere. The second thing is you must select your style and the way you want to invest and stick to it. Again, obviously, I'm a value investor. I can tell you how I do it, but you don't have to do it like that, but you must keep a consistent style. And then thirdly, if you decide you want to buy fundamentally underpriced shares, start by looking at all the losers on the JSE. Take the annual report, try and understand The business, the industry they're in, and then understand the numbers. And then, very importantly, make sure there's a margin of safety, you know, that there's not too much debt on the balance sheet, or preferably there's cash, and the valuation multiple is low and it's out of favor. And, you know, those are the starting points. And obviously, it helps if you've got some financial knowledge that you can actually analyze the financials, but, you know, that's something you can learn in time as well.
1: What has been your best investment ever and what has been your worst one ever?
0: Hmm. So the worst investment ever was into, which was the old Liberty International, which was highly leveraged and was a play on UK property. It was at the limit of the kind of leverage that we had. And then COVID hit at exactly the worst time and shut down the retail side of their business which really resulted in liquidation we lost all our money on YouTube. so that's probably the worst investment and the best investment 20 years ago cash build which is a massive business today you know it's 280 rand a share cash build traded at one rand to share i think it was and i always remember looking at cash build at that particular time it was 20 years ago the share was one rand The market, they had had, um, like 20 million shares in issue. So the market cap was 20 million rand for cash build and they had no debt. And in those days, I'll always remember the turnover was a billion rand. So they ran into some short-term problems with stock holdings and stock losses. So they didn't make anything. So they were making no money. So the market said the business is worth nothing. And I remember looking and thinking, it's a 20 million market cap and uh, there's no debt. So for the whole business, you pay 20 million rand, but you've got a billion rands' worth of turnover. And that's a nice way to look at it. You say, how can a billion rands' worth of building product sales in a good brand name be worth only 20 million rand? And that share then went from one rand to 100 rand in the next, whatever, six or seven. Do you still hold it? uh, No. Unfortunately, (laughs) that's the other thing. Value (laughs) investors always sell too early, so... (laughs) Bought it at one rand, probably, I actually can't remember what level I sold it. I probably sold it at 30 or 40 or whatever. Then went to 100 and eventually actually went to 400. But, you know, then things changed. And, you know, those are the kind of, you buy those heavily distressed assets. When you buy a business for 20 million rand that turns over a billion rand, the market is basically saying it's a business that in the is just not going to make it long term. It doesn't have a business. And anyone who goes into a cash will share will see it does have a good business.
1: John, thank you so much for your time and insights and for sharing your insights today. I think it's been a wonderful discussion. And thank you. And uh, hopefully Tiger Brands and the other companies you've mentioned, within 10 years' time, they mirror Cashbold.
0: Correct. Thanks for your time, Ray.
1: Thanks. Sir. That was Investment Legend John Bicard, and he is the fund manager of the 91 Value Fund and he's been managing that fund for more than 20 years.
0: Show me the money. That was the money web, be a better investor podcast with Ray Fornicapp. Thanks for listening. Catch up and listen to all the MoneyWeb podcasts on moneyweb.co.za or the app. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.